This is the Edify Podcast for the servant. Fellas, we are just a few days away from the Rooted Retreat, Jenkins Institute, Ministry League, Light Network, uh, and of course, Edify. Dale Jenkins, Robert Hatfield, Dr. Neil Ritchie um, going to be there. We're going to be discussing a lot of different things. Uh, talking about our work, talking about planning for a year, giving you the tools necessary uh, to plan for a year. Uh, your registration fee is 50 bucks. It's going to cover three meals. It's going to cover your lodging. It's going to cover uh, some things that we're going to do and give away uh, to everybody that's there present. So hope you'll be there, and uh, we're looking forward to having all of you. And uh, go ahead and hit over to uh, Eventbrite. Uh, or to the Edify page and click the click the rooted link. It is uh, tabbed up at the top and register. We'd love to have you all there. Uh, none of this will be recorded. None of this will be online. None of this will be uh, viewed later. All of this is in-house. It's in-shop. We're looking for intimacy. We're looking for privacy. We're looking for things that are going to help you um, be rooted uh, to live and to grow as you should as a preacher uh, and as a Christian. So, We'll see y'all all this Friday. You know, the Proverbs writer says that wisdom cries in the streets. And that's where I'm recording from today, a coffee shop over in Carrollton, Georgia, called Gallery Row. Great, great coffee shop. Please stop in anytime you get a chance. Uh, but I'm recording from here today, and I want to talk about preaching. And I really want to talk about the foundation of preaching. I know we've taken a few weeks off. I have been uh, on a respite, on a sabbatical uh, from personal work, local work, uh, took uh, some time in Montana, some time in Idaho, some time in uh, Tennessee, uh, three weeks actually, and uh, preached two meetings during that time. But you know how it is. It's not usually as um, uh, laborsome uh, to preach a meeting in some of the ways, and in other ways it's more tiresome, but it's been good for me. Uh, and so anyway, I want to talk about the foundation of preaching Uh, You know, if preaching is to be rightly esteemed, it is crucial to grasp the properties uh, and and primacy. Um, You know, its properties address what it is, and its primacy addresses its its centrality, uh, the the primacy of preaching. Uh, And what we want to do in this episode is um, realistically establish a biblical uh, and theological robust view of preaching uh, of the Word of God. It's always healthy to go back to the grassroots and look at the grassroots and and uh, really talk about the things that matter the most. Uh, and uh, and preaching is is central from all other aspects of worship. Um, all that comes from the preaching of God's Word and the hearing of God's Word. So high regard for the preaching of God's Word uh, realistically is measured in one's response to it. Uh, I guess, in the effectiveness of the hearing. Um, you know, the steps a person takes during and after a sermon are immensely consequential uh, for the preacher, for the listener. Um, you know, in fact, responsiveness to the world begins well before the preaching event even takes place. You know, it requires heart preparation um, and, um, and, and, and a whole lot of tooling and a whole lot of getting out of your uh, own personal way. Uh, w- one of the principles is, um, I-, I guess, of preaching, and maybe maybe this episode 
is to solidify uh, a sound and, as I said, robust theology of preaching. Um, and, and to begin anywhere else is going to be ill-advised. You know, inseparable from the theology of preaching is the theology of Scripture. And the two are inextricably linked. Um, the soundness of a person's theology of Scripture will will inevitably impact uh, their theology. Um you know, especially in their theology of preaching, you know, for good or for bad. So, so it's essential that we start there. There's, there's no better passage for this discussion, Second uh, Timothy three sixteen seventeen. Uh, it records some of the last written words Timothy is going to receive from his mentor. Uh, these these words come at the end of Paul's life. They lay the foundation for Timothy's marching orders uh, in chapter four one through five. You know, and, and Paul wants Timothy to have a full confidence that in, in, in the Scriptures, he has everything that he, need, he needs to fulfill his ministry. Not gimmicks, not uh, programs, not um, advertisements, not skills with this, skills with that. No, just the Scripture is what you need to fulfill the ministry. Now, from the Scripture stem all those other things. From those Scriptures, uh, talents and abilities um, will begin to uh, take place and shape and mold in your own personal life and your own your own character, your own integrity, all those things um, stem from Scripture. So let's talk about the 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 identification of Scripture. In 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul says that all of the Scripture, which is, you know, graphe, uh, is inspired, you know, by God. So in so doing, he makes a declaration about the Scripture's origin. The source of Scripture is none other than from God. But what does the Scripture consist of? So in its context, Paul has at least the Old Testament in view. And so he refers to the sacred writings in verse 15. He wants Timothy to continue in the things that he's learned, that he's been convinced of as a child. And, and he even cites these writings that are able, you know, he says it, it's, it's, it's able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. I mean, that's all that's in that same verse that's there. And so since, since during Timothy's childhood, um, the New Testament, as we have it, was not written. He's, he's referencing the Old Testament. Um, in fact, the Greek word graphe, which is writing or scripture, uh, is used somewhere around 50 times. Uh, and many of them, of those times, they, they introduce citations from the Old Testament. So Paul's statements concerning all scripture uh, has the Old Testament in view. So Paul's, Paul's statement concerning scripture also applies to the New Testament. There's there's two significant uh, places in the New Testament where the where it's referred to as graphe. First uh, Timothy five eight. You know Paul sets forth the instruction on the need to to provide uh, financial support for the elders who you know quote rule well. And uh, that's verse seventeen of First Timothy five. And so he gives that biblical basis for this verse in, in verse eighteen. Uh, for the scripture says. You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. So the first citation comes from Deuteronomy 25.4, and it's a clear quote of the Old Testament. But the second one comes from Jesus in Luke 10.7. So Paul identifies Luke's gospel as scripture and, and places it on equal footing with the Old Testament. So the second, the second place the New Testament is referred to as Scripture is in 2 Peter 3, 16. So leading up to that verse, Peter exhorts his readers to live in a manner consistent with the, with the certainty of the coming day of the Lord and, and, and a day that will bring with it judgment and destruction of the present heavens and earth uh, as, as we know them. 
But if there is any, any delay in its arrival, he wants his readers to regard it as the Lord's patience. Um, 2 Peter 3.15. Uh, and his, his patience as a means of, of grace for salvation for those who have yet to be uh, uh, redeemed uh, by Jesus. So this was not the first time that they had heard an exhortation like this. And in fact, Peter references a, a letter previously you know, uh, written to them by the, by the Apostle Paul. And he, he makes those comments. He says, also in all of his letters speaking in them, these things, in, in which some things are hard to understand, which the untaught and, and unstable distort. He says this in verse 16, they do, they do also the rest of Scripture. And he says they do this to their own destruction. So the word rest refers to others uh, or others of the same kind. So Peter places Paul's writings on, on level playing field, equal footing uh, with the Old Testament. So when Paul states that all Scripture is inspired, that statement applies and is limited to the Old Testament uh, and the New Testament. And, and these are the only Scripture that possesses you know, the attribute of inspiration. So that's the identification of Scripture, Old and New Testament. We say, well, that's very fundamental. That's very elementary. Well, not everybody knows that. Uh, and I know more. I know some brethren who are more focused on the New Testament. Uh, and I've heard brethren say, uh, we're not an Old Testament church. We're a New Testament church. The preachers need to stay in the New Testament. How ignorant that is. How ignorant that is. Uh, you can't understand Hebrews if you don't have a rich understanding of, of the Old Testament. So just right out the gate, fundamental the identification of scripture is both the old and the new testament and let's shift the gears to the inspiration so having identified what scripture is the second half of paul's opening statement this this comes into view he says all scripture old and new testament is inspired by god so the translation inspired comes from the influence of of the latin vulgate um but the underlying greek word is better rendered as god breathed if you don't have a copy of the book, God Breathed by uh, Dr. Keith uh, Mosier, one of my instructors that I had, great, great book, great tool for you to have, um, especially when it comes to the inspiration of Scripture. Um, the idea is not that God provided each biblical author with inspiration that fueled their own creativity. Uh, of course, Brother Mosier covers that. Um, and we're going to cover that, obviously. It, it, what it does is it indicates that Scripture originates with God um, such that he is its ultimate source. So as such, it is not the human author that is inspired, but rather all Scripture is inspired. And so that's, that's different. Um, or That's a clarification that we need to make. So while this establishes God as Scripture's source, it fails to account for how it came through the pen of a human author. So after all, there are differences in styles and vocabulary and even personality from one author to the next. Uh, different crowds, different contexts, different uh, personalities and traits and all those different things. So to understand how inspiration takes place, we've got to look, you know, Second Second Peter 1, 20 through 21 Peter writes, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Uh, for no prophecy of Scripture was ever made by an act of human will. So said differently, no prophecy was the result of a human author, you know, decoding some sort of encrypted message. The human agent was not sovereign over what was written. Uh, Paul told the Corinthian church that the gifts were subject to the one who had the gifts. So the human agent was not sovereign over what was written. 
in when it came to uh, the Holy Spirit, when it came to the writing of God's Word, knowing what it would forever be um, and forever be infallible. Those first century gifts, though, a person could use and abuse those if they wanted to. Not so when it came to the Scripture. How do we know that? The human agent, as we said, was not sovereign. Uh, he recorded exactly what God intended, and that's what verse 21 shows. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God, not from their heart, not from their thought, not from their own, uh, you know, putting the Spirit of God in, in subject. Uh, the Holy Spirit is was superintended um, in writing uh, the Constitute, uh, the words of God. So, so through the Scripture... And um, through through uh, scripture is is the result of a, a dual authorship, uh, reflecting characteristics in, in germane and to to teach to teach human author uh, to each human author its its primary author is God. So what this means is is that inspiration is both verbal and it's plenary. That it is verbal means that inspiration does not merely apply to its ideas or concepts, but to each and every word. Thus, a good need for a, as best as we can, word-for-word translation and not thought-for-thought from the commentator. Um, That's verbal. We want something that, what he verbally said, what what word did the Lord use, that's what I want. So plenary, though, plenary means that inspiration is comprehensive. Every part of the Bible is equally divine in its origin. The Bible never contradicts itself. It always complements itself. Uh, it never it never steps on its own toes. The Bible is its best defense in that it is a perfect Bible. So the identification of Scripture uh, and the... Uh, the major major point of the inspiration of Scripture leads us to, to a truth that we know uh, the the inerrancy of Scripture. So if if the identification of the Scripture is these sacred writings, uh, these Old Testament and New Testament words from God, and the and they are inspired from God, they are not inspired from man, but inspired from God they're given from God, then that would show and teach and imply and command that these scriptures are inerrant, mean, meaning that they are without um, without error. <clears throat> there are four characteristics uh, of scripture that result um, from this doctrine, this teaching of inspiration. Uh, the first is inerrancy. Uh, to say that the scripture is inerrant is to say that it is written without error uh, in its original autographs, in its original intent, uh, its original pen. It did not have an error. This is scripture's you know, own testimony of itself. Uh, Psalm 19.7, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. Your version may say converting the soul. Uh, Psalm 119.160, the sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. So, in fact, Jesus prays in John 17, 17, Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Well, what's his word? Well, the identification of his word is the Old and New Testament. So, since God is the ultimate source of Scripture, and since he cannot lie, Hebrews 6, 18, his word is perfect. 
some folks are going to object and say that since, well, a man was involved and a man has fallen, a man is, is capable of sin, and, and if we're not careful, we'll be prone to wander. Um, but then that must mean that there are errors inside this book. So this, this line of reason reasoning is, is faulty on at least, um, well, realistically, two levels. First, though, it is true that man has fallen and that we have error, uh, on many occasions, it, it does not follow that he errs on every occasion. And we know that. Uh, it's entirely within man's ability uh, to write without error. Uh, we do it today when we sit down and write an email, when we sit down and we write um, a note. We can do that without writing any sort of error whatsoever. Secondly, though Jesus was born uh, of a fallen woman... Uh, he was born uh, without the nature and the propensity to sin like you and us can do and are subject to. Romans chapter 8, we've been subjected to this futility. Um, sin is going to happen in the capable and able mind of every human being. This included Mary. Uh, Jesus was not subject to this. He was without sin. He could have sinned, but his morality and his Holiness would not allow him to do that. Uh, you and I have the ability to go in and rob a bank, but because of our morality and our holiness, we do not do so. And that's a very elementary way to describe that. Uh, and to talk about the dual nature of the Lord can be difficult sometimes to understand and wrap our mind around. But the reality is he was all man, and yet he was all God. Um, so since God was able to bring about uh, the birth of Christ without him uh, being subject to futility or, you know, corrupted by sin in, in any kind of way. It's a clear it's a clear instance of the omnipotence of God uh, sovereignly superintending uh, the writing of Scripture is by no means above God. This objection cannot stand uh, that since a man was involved, then, then that must mean that it must have some sort of sin involved. The word of God is inerrant. But it, secondly, it's, it's, it's infallible. There is an infallibility when it comes to the Scripture. Um, and this may be the second characteristic of Scripture that, that results from, you know, this, this doctrine of inspiration. And it's, in, it's infallibility. Uh, th this characteristic is, is inseparable from, from inerrancy or we, you and I want to affirm that Scripture has been given by God. It is therefore infallible so that far from misleading us, it is true and reliable in, in all the matters that it addresses. So Scripture is entirely trustworthy, rightly understood. It cannot lead a person into error. Uh, if a person reads the Bible and they go into error, it's because they have a bad hermeneutic. They have a bad... Uh, dissection of scripture they don't they don't know understand the full uh will of god it's cherry picking go to one verse and pull it out and say base our whole theology off of this one verse that's foolishness or base your whole theology off of romans chapter 9 and say god selects and chooses people to be saved when he wasn't even talking about salvation he was talking about the elect and how to bring about the son of son of god through a lineage of people the Bible is infallible. The old scriptures, the sacred writings, the New Testament, the Old Testament are all infallible. 
and as such it provides a firm foundation upon which one can build their life uh, it fuels confidence to put everything that we learn and read into practice and it yields tremendous blessings in the process um, Psalm 1 1 through 3 uh, 119 1 through 2 James 125 so when it comes to scripture it is inerrant it is infallible and therefore it is sufficient uh, this is a third characteristic and we're going to go we're going to get this one and then another one but but the idea of scripture being sufficient um, since all scripture is breathed out by God it is profitable for teaching reproof correction and training in righteousness so at first glance the word rendered um, profitable may seem somewhat weak but it but it should be noted that scripture is unrivaled in its profitability um, nothing there's nothing else uh, that could be said uh, or there is nothing else said even to be profitable for the task uh, that scripture accomplishes so this is an exclusive and, and realistically an, an unparalleled profitability profitability uh, scripture is profit uh, profitable or profit able able to profit uh, to carry out uh, different functions so well let's just kind of talk about those for a second the, the first is teaching um, scripture is profitable for teaching the highlights um, that you see these this highlights or, or this highlights the very fact that it's able to teach this highlights scripture's content as being fundamentally instructive that this was given to teach something it provides everything a person needs to know about God in every other category of theology. The second function, I would say, is reproof. Uh, scripture makes a person aware of their sin. This is this is critical to a person's, you know, spiritual growth and spiritual development. Uh, the third is correction. So whereas reproof addresses the negative side of the ledger, correction addresses the positive side. Uh, that word correction. Do do a word study on that on that word correction. It. It's not the way that you usually think when a parent corrects a child. Uh, the word comfort here is the idea of rendering aid, not not something of, of rebuke or sharp words or standing there uh, with a belt in your hand kind of thing uh, and just whipping people. Uh, this is the idea of serving aid and rendering comfort and aid, that, that correction. It, it addresses the positive side of things. So it highlights scriptures... Um, restorative function and and was a word used to describe uh, returning some things to its proper condition when we're talking about um, correction so this 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 fourth and final one is training in righteousness now this this picture scripture as a personal trainer uh, in the gym of righteousness and so these four functions capture uh, the exclusive and comprehensive profit profitability of scripture these functions come together to serve the purpose of rendering, quote, the man of God adequate or equipped for every good work. Scripture is supremely sufficient to make the man of God complete, fully furnishing him uh, for the work of the ministry. Paul wants Timothy to have full confidence in the Scripture's supreme sufficiency for the completion of his mission. So in the scriptures, Timothy has absolutely everything he needs. You and I have everything that we could ever need for this work and labor. 
So the, the, the next thing is to discuss, or maybe a final characteristic, is the authority of Scripture. Um, when we're talking about inspiration, we're, we're talking about the authority of Scripture. Since God is the source and ultimate author of Scripture, this comes with full weight of his, of his authority. He could have chosen to spoke or to speak audibly from heaven, but instead he speaks exclusively in his word. In fact, it is as if the very tones of God's voice are heard in it. Um, let's see. Uh, I think that was... I can't remember who, who said that. Um, I think it was T.H.L. Parker. Um Westminster, yeah, I think it was written. This written word that we have in front of us, his written word, is no less authoritative than his audible voice. It rightly demands full submission and obedience. Having said that, due to our fallen condition and state that so many of us may even currently be in, Scripture's authority will be resisted. And rejected apart from the uh, work of of everything else, um, the Holy Spirit works through the Scriptures uh, to confirm its reliability, um, giving the believer a certainty that it is the Word of God. John MacArthur said that. Therefore, it is it is through the ministry of the Spirit that the believer rightly recognizes that scripture is divinely authoritative. Um, and he, he teaches that through his word. So a high view of God results in a high view of scripture. A high view of scripture is vital to a high view of preaching. Compromise at any point of the doctrine of scripture, the teachings of scripture, what we believe about scripture, whether it's inspiration, inerrancy, uh, infallibility, insufficiency, or its authority, Inevitably, what that does is it short-circuits its power in the life of the believer. What should you preach this Sunday? Well, don't preach politics. Don't preach this. Don't preach that. Preach preach Jesus. Preach the Bible. Preach the Scriptures. Don't, don't have something to preach and say, well, what does the Bible have to say about this? Go to the Bible and say, what does the Holy Spirit have to say? Uh, preach expositionally. Take out verses and, and, and see how they're woven together. Um, the attributes of Scripture are so interconnected that compromise at any one point compromises the whole. All of Scripture is a package deal. And so, these are pillars of conviction that must firmly be in place. They are the very foundation of preaching. I hope you're well. I hope you're preaching well. Uh, don't, don't forget of the inspiration uh, the infallibility, the inerrancy, uh, and the sufficiency, and the, the authority of the Scriptures, fellas. That's, that's what we're here for. That's what we're about. May God bless you in your preaching and your teaching of His Word.